Welcome to the Bluegrass Podcast. Today we're talking with Jimmy Osbrooks from Western Kentucky, where he's running for representative in District 1. We are excited to have him on, so let's get right to it. It's just uh, trying to get everything done is trying to get everything done. <laughs> Running an election is no small feat. And out of curiosity, I know that you're running now, but is this your first election? My first general election. Uh, in 2020, I ran with the other uh, dozen plus uh, for the Democratic nomination um, for the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say, um, what was your story before this? Because I like I didn't know of you as a candidate before this race in particular. Yeah, the uh, pandemic uh, kind of really uh, put a crunch on everything happened in 2020. I think there was only a couple of actual live events. Myself, Amy McGrath, uh, Charles Booker, and Mike Breuer um, mm-hmm. We got to do a uh, forum in Northern Kentucky, and then they kind of shut everything down. And personally, you are originally from Kentucky, which is actually something significant, I think, especially with our elected officials. Like, you know the area. You went to school here. What's a little bit of your story, like being from Kentucky and living here? Proud native, uh, born and raised in a small uh, rural community in Simpson County. Went to public school. Um, you know, my family is a majority of farmers and factory workers. So that putting in a long day, that's genuine. And uh, I got to see that. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents. My grandfather had a uh, third grade education. Grandma had mm-hmm. a second grade education. I was probably an adolescent when my grandfather got disabled and he was no longer able to work. Um, so my grandma, you know, she had to take a entry level factory job. And for 20 years, she stayed at that level because she didn't have an education. She wasn't able to read and write. And um, that's part of the motivation that drove me um, to have an education. Um, the first person in my family to ever go to college. There's a lot of first uh, for me in my family. You know, I remember, you know, going to the community store because every little community had their own little store. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I sat there with the farmers uh, talking about crops, talking about how good it's doing, how bad it's doing. And a lot of politics got uh, brought into that as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I truly feel that I have a better um, understanding about small town communities that makes up the majority of the first congressional district. I understand what it means to just learn your truths, learn your abilities and uh, push yourself forward. And you talking about sitting there with the farmers, you know, in sort of a small community. And I think pretty much anyone from Kentucky has the image. They know exactly what you mean by that, sitting by the table or wherever it is, just being in on the conversation. And you ended up becoming uh, a counselor as well as a couple of other things. Is that right? That's correct. Like I said, I graduated and graduated from Western Kentucky University with a degree in government. And uh, I ended up in sales for close to 20 years. Um, mm-hmm. And then I made the decision uh, 
to do something different. Uh, I'm all about change. Um, I don't see it as a negative. I see it as a very positive. I came back to my hometown to practice. I could have mm -hmm. went anywhere in the country, but I chose to come back to my community because I knew my community needed resources and they're limited. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why my mental health is one of those key issues for me because we don't have a voice for mental health. Mm -hmm. There's only a handful of mental health professionals in Congress, uh, but yet they're introducing bills and debating bills without having that real firsthand knowledge. And as a counselor, I get more in-depth conversations than I did as a kid sitting in the country, you know, the country store, mm -hmm. um, because these individuals are coming into my office and they're sharing with me their fears, uh, their worries. And so I get a different perspective. And because a lot of people will say one thing in public, they'll say another thing to me. And mm -hmm. I just really believe that I can make a difference because I know how I lived. I know how the individuals in my community live. And now I know one layer deeper uh, that I didn't know before. And did you find it at all difficult, especially towards the beginning of that shift towards counseling, getting people to come in, especially like with Kentuckians who can sometimes be, I think, averse to that, like in particular, like accepting mental health as something that they can talk about and go to someone about? It was a challenge, uh, but it was also in the midst of the beginning of the pandemic. And mm -hmm. I would say that my caseload um, nearly tripled in just a matter of a few months mm -hmm. because everyone realized that they were in a new world and they did not know how to process the isolation or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but the key thing that I want everyone to understand about mental health counselors, we are the least judgmental person that you're ever going to meet. We recognize that when you come into our office, it's not about us. It is about the individual sitting there. And my job is just to be a looking glass to help them recognize where it is in their cognitive behavioral arenas, what it is that they need to work on. I never tell them this is what you need to work on. This is what you need to do. I let them lead the conversation. I may guide a little this way or a little that way. Mm -hmm. But the, I believe that the way that I approach has grown the process of talking about mental health in my community. Um, the stigma still kills individuals every single day. And I'm doing my part of assuring individuals that they're safe they're loved. Mm -hmm. And if you're loved and you're safe, you're okay. And as you're running, do you have any particular ideas about how you'd like to bring that experience into being a representative, either in healthcare communities, however you see that translated? Yeah. Cause uh, I just did some, I just looked at some statistics this weekend and uh, 
I think there's been roughly 511 bills in the House um, that referenced mental health. Very few have actually been passed and anything's being done. Um, mm -hmm. I know this year alone, I know of at least $14 million in federal funding that is gone. And my profession is one of the lowest paid professions and we have such a large impact mm -hmm. on individuals. Um, the average in Kentucky for a counselor is $38,000 a year. And uh, teachers are pretty much the next level that, you know, has the greatest impact in individuals' lives and they're not paid their worth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one thing that has not been done yet, uh, only licensed social workers uh, can typically bill Medicare in the state, of, you know, in the state of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of across the nation uh, and veterans um, as well. And uh, most social workers, at least in the state of Kentucky, most of those work for the state and they don't practice. So that's leaving licensed professional clinical counselors like myself, marriage and family counselors, unable to see these clients and get reimbursed for providing them services. And I'm on the board of the Kentucky Counseling Association. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we have advocated for every year. You know, every year officers go to DC and they, you know, go to their congressman's office and ask for this to be done. And we still don't have anything done. So making sure that people up there understand what the real need is because mm -hmm. looking at something on a piece of paper versus having firsthand knowledge makes a significant difference. Absolutely. So one recent event that you were at, I didn't know this until I heard your speech, but you are the first openly gay general election candidate in Kentucky. No, and just in the house of representatives. House of Representatives. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Mr. Jim, uh, Jim Gray uh, was the first openly gay uh, to ever be in the general election for the U.S. Senate several years ago. And in particular, you were at Fancy Farm a little while back, and I just wanted to compliment you on the grace and the willpower to handle that situation the way you did, because people acted pretty disgracefully during your time. And I just want to know how you do it, keep your composure in that way, because you must run into that so often and you just react in the most sincere, how can we have this conversation way in the way we need to have it. It has uh, taken a lot of energy and a lot of mindfulness and I think a lot of that came from my learning to be a counselor and being a counselor. Because like I stated earlier, we're the least judgmental that you're ever going to run into in a profession. And everybody has an opinion. Mm -hmm. And I know that not everybody's opinion is right, but it's right for them. But it's not right for me. And all I can do is show them, be the example that uh, we are just like them. I would kind of have mixed feelings about Fancy Farm, so to speak, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I knew walking in that I was subjective to uh, having things said to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the vileness that went across their, you know, my opposition's party's um, theme for the entire day was to create harm. And I felt awful for any child that was sitting in that audience or sitting at home watching it and them being a member of the LGBTQIA plus community mm-hmm. and knowing that they are hated, knowing that there is something wrong with them, because if that is all they're hearing, that's why LGBTQIA plus youth are the highest population for suicide. Mm-hmm. And me standing up there, I had to stand up there. You know, I had to let them know that anything is possible if you want it, mm-hmm. and that we don't have to hide who we are. There is strength in knowing who we are. And, um, you know, really my goal was to number one, let them know I'm here, and number two, Try to give one person, just one person, hope and inspiration. And uh, I think I did that. Uh, of course, my uh, my initial uh, speech uh, got altered a little bit um, as I sat there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's why my focus got a little bit off track because I was angry. And uh, I had to breathe. I had to accept that, um, you know, there are biased people. Um, and I had never been confronted like that Mm -hmm. in my life. Um, but I knew that me standing up there being just as vile was not going to help anybody. And I just wanted to show them that there are individuals that do care that are kind and uh, that I was still willing to be their representative. I was still willing to listen to what they had to say because we don't have that. A hundred percent. And I think you pivoted it in the best way that you possibly could, not just staying on target with your message of like LGBTQ rights, but going over to women's rights are important too. And I know that that's weird as two gentlemen talking about women's rights, you know, just alone, but I really do think it is important in something that you have demonstrated throughout your campaign. It's not just about your constituency or your selected, like, this is what I'm focusing on. You really are looking at rights and looking at supporting Kentuckians across the board, no matter who you are, there are things that are important to them that you're working for. Yep. Because, you know, uh, you know, again, it is kind of funny that two men are talking about this, but the sad part is that we're the only ones who can talk about it now. Um, you know, I was at the state farm, uh, state fair a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and, uh, I talked about women's rights ever since the uh, Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. Um, But it did not hit me till I was standing 
there in the middle of uh, the state fair in Louisville. And all the little girls, the adolescent girls, and young women walking through that large space and knowing that they're not going to have the right or permission over their own bodies. And it hurt because these little girls are going to grow up not knowing that they are equal. And I know they are. Mm -hmm. And I made a little post and I said, I don't know how any person, whether it be a woman or a man, can look at themselves in the mirror and think that taking that away from these individuals could ever be right. And how any man can look at himself in the mirror and know that he's endangering his children, his Mm -hmm. sisters, even his wife with this. You know, this isn't just a, a party issue. This is a real people issue. It's more than just abortion. You know, there's a lot of things below the surface that a lot of individuals aren't seeing. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid they're going to see it. And when they do, they're going to be in a position that they don't like. And I am truly hopeful that mm-hmm. enough information is shared, enough information is appreciated that when it comes November, there is going to be a reckoning. And uh, I want to be a part of making history for all of us for humanity Um, because yes, I'm running as a Democrat and yes, I'm running in the first congressional district. But when I walk into that Capitol, my party affiliation gets checked at the door Mm -hmm. because I'm not elected to represent the Democrats. I'm not elected to, you know, to represent the Republicans or the independents. I'm elected and I will swear an oath to preserve and protect all of us. You know, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Congress is, you know, we are the people's voice. And uh, I take a lot of pride in that because I don't agree with everything in my party. I don't agree with everything in other parties, but I believe enough in the individuals mm-hmm. that I make that connection. Like, you know, my, my, uh, the motto for my agency is making connections and changing lives. That's my real motto is if we make the connections, it's not going to matter what side of the aisle that anybody sits. And if I can help restore a little bit of integrity where we need to do this because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. We don't need to do this because it's a party thing to do. I think you're a hundred percent right. And Another issue that I would be curious to get your opinion on in that same vein are the redistricting maps, especially for District 1, because I don't know, I have not heard an explanation yet for how you can have Frankfurt and Paducah in the same district and have that seem like any sort of reasonable map. And I mean, it must be incredibly difficult for you as someone running for office all of a sudden the people that you need to be talking to have shifted so drastically. 
Yeah, uh, when I initially made the decision, I, you know, I started uh, looking at the 39 counties mm -hmm. and uh, started making a game plan. And then, of course, that all got shifted. You know, I mean, I'm a very positive person. So what I can say positively is I went from 39 to 35. Um, <laughs> that's positive. But um, why things get done, I don't think we're ever going to really know. I think we're going to speculate. We're going to uh, assume a lot of things. Um, and we all have to come to that realization for ourselves. Um, because not many people in Frankfurt's going to always be honest with us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I knew it was going to be a challenge because at 35 counties, 126 cities, I think, um, that's the largest number of counties in any district. And we only have 120. Um, mm -hmm. And I have more than a fourth and five other districts make up that other um and it is very challenging because i have a majority of small rural communities and then i have a couple of major uh, metropolitan areas but i go into each one um with the same mindset mm -hmm. um we're people and you know we all go to the grocery store yeah. we all put gas in our cars you know those issues aren't going to change depending on our location. And I just go in and I ask them what's important to them, what it is that you would like to see. And then I ask them, if you can't get all of that, what would you be okay with? Because uh, I think anymore we kind of live in an all or nothing kind of world. I don't like that. I think if we go to whatever the problem is, go to the root and the solution is, is kind of already there. And mm -hmm. uh, we need the one thing uh, that for some reason became absent in the Congress and DC and Frankfurt and you know, pretty much across the board, common sense. Mm -hmm. You know, look at an issue and we use what was given to us, you know, guns for prime example. Mm -hmm. um, I proudly defend the Second Amendment. I mm -hmm. am a gun owner, uh, but I need to know how to use that gun. Mm -hmm. I need to know how to clean that gun. I need to know how to store that gun. I have to be responsible for that gun. And, um, a handgun, that's for protection. Uh, mm -hmm. Growing up in the country, you know, um, a 410 shotgun or a 22 rifle, that's sufficient. Mm -hmm. We don't need a, a gun that can drop 50 rounds of ammo in a matter of seconds because that's not protecting you. Mm -hmm. And that is not uh, going to leave you very much meat on the bones if you're hunting with it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's a reason we don't. You know, we're not allowed to get hand grenades and missile launchers. That's the same thing, because the reality is I can throw a hand grenade and it's going to do less damage than somebody with an assault rifle that can mow down 50, 60, 70 people. That hand grenade is just going to land and explode. And it's right there. 
uh, I know that's kind of a far-fetched example, but we can't just accept the things that everybody's trying to make us accept. Uh, as a mental health counselor, I think some component of that background check should include um, some type of um, measuring tool of whether or not they may need to get an evaluation or they may need, um, you know, just a little bit more before they're handed a gun. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some of the other issues like um, credit cards, mm -hmm. um, guns and ammos are the only thing that does not have a code, um, you know, buying anything else has a credit card code. I can't remember the exact classification code that it is. Mm -hmm. But guns and ammo, they don't. They're like the only items that don't have it. And, you know, let's look back at Las Vegas. You know, that individual bought tens of thousands of dollars of ammunition on his credit card and it never got flagged. Mm -hmm. You have a farmer that goes and buys you know, some fertilizer and he's checked mm -hmm. out, you know, why somebody buying that much that doesn't own a gun store, doesn't have a firing range that should have been a red flag that's missing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to lose any of my rights. And, you know, in my lifetime, we're losing more rights every single day than we've ever lost before but I am willing to sacrifice some discomfort for the safety of others. I talked to other gun owners that are responsible and mm -hmm. they agree with me that not everything is that black and white. And uh, there is a lot of common sense legislation that can be applied to guns and people are going to be okay with it if they understand it. Mm -hmm. you know, we get a lot of the hype. We get one little quote or a part of a quote and everybody runs with it and they don't ever, you know, follow up and find out exactly what is the truth. And uh, that's one of our biggest problems. And I want to be one of those individuals where I am transparent. You ask me a question, I'm going to give you the answer. And if mm -hmm. I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you I don't know the answer because watching politicians on the news you know they're asked one question and they never answer it but they spend 10 minutes talking mm -hmm. and uh, it's just frustrating and so transparency is very important to me um integrity you know mm -hmm. my parents raised me to value certain things and uh honesty is one of them mm -hmm. do you know saying what you mean and mean what you say. And if you're going to do something, you do it well. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't taught about failure. I was taught about opportunity. And I've taken every opportunity that has ever presented itself to me. And some of the consequences were amazing. Mm -hmm. And some were very educational. <laughs> <laughs> and 
One last question that I have, because we do focus on cannabis and hemp a lot and that sort of legislation. Do you have a position that you've come to about cannabis in Kentucky or something that you would like to see changed? If anything, you may, I'm not sure, you may say change nothing right now. I'm just curious about how you feel since it's such we were going through all these issues and that's another one of those. Where can we meet or if anywhere? Yep. Um, I am 100% in support of legalizing uh, cannabis, uh, marijuana. Um, and it's for a couple of different reasons. But one of the biggest ones, because again, I get to see a different side of things. It can be used effectively for pain management. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would eliminate a lot of deaths that are occurring because of opioids. I mean, we have an opioid crisis, you know, it hasn't gone away. Um, Mm -hmm. But when your family doctor who knows you, who has probably been your doctor for most of your life, if he's not going to write you a prescription for something, you know, are we asking ourselves, why this person won't, but they're sending us to a pain clinic. Mm-hmm. Are these people, if they spend 15 minutes with you, are writing a prescription that they know is addictive. Mm-hmm. And everybody has figured out how to play the system. You know, to me, I don't understand why we're still permitting it. Legalizing marijuana, that medical component is literally mm-hmm. going to save lives. Um, the other reason I'm in favor of it, everything that I've been able to read and study, it is less harmful than alcohol mm-hmm. and tobacco. Two things we're known for. Yeah. You know, and it's clearly marked on several packages, you know, this will cause cancer, um, you know, cirrhosis of the liver. There's no evidence that everybody's going to, number one, use it. And mm-hmm. number two, um, that's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, getting it on the streets, you know, some of it's getting laced with fentanyl. It's one of the most deadly drugs out there, and it doesn't take a lot to kill you. And when you're just getting something unregulated, you do not know what you're getting. You don't know how safe it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, economically, we're talking about having a sustainable crop for Kentucky farmers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't get just one crop. You can get several crops throughout the year. So it's only going to boost our economy. Mm-hmm. Our revenues are going to increase. And if we're making more money... Shouldn't we make less tax payments? So, I mean, it's going to help everybody. We're going to lower our taxes. We're going to have more funds for roads, uh, education. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many benefits. And, again, is it because somebody's going to lose power or think that they're going to have less control? That's the part that doesn't make sense. Our representatives need to represent us. 
-hmm. And I talked to a lot of people and nobody I've talked to has said there is no way I would ever permit that. You know, everybody has had a family member really sick with cancer Mm -hmm. and it helps ease the pain. It helps them keep an appetite. I mean, there's a lot of different things. Now, they're probably not going to say that in church on Sunday morning, <laughs> but they're going to look at that the other seven days, you know, the other six days of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just a lot of things that I'm running into is, you know, the opposition party is screaming, but the people, they don't believe it. And, um, like I said, I'm just hoping that this year's elections make a significant change in all of our lives. And uh, I'm very thankful that the majority of the um, congressional candidates, we've been engaged prior to the um, primary. We have been talking, mm-hmm. we've been sharing, being very collaborative. Um, and I think that's probably one of the first times in Kentucky that that's happened. And uh, we complement each other in a way that when we walk into that Capitol, we're going to be a powerhouse and we are going to be able to give the things to Kentucky that they deserve. We're going to benefit the nation because we all have common sense. We're all looking at issues and we're seeing the solution and we're all charismatic to a degree where we can talk across the aisle. That's what it takes. It takes communication, open lines of communication and not saying, oh, you're Republican. You're not going to support me. So I'm not going to deal with you. That's not the attitude we need. Mm-hmm. It's not the attitude we should have. I think you're right. And I think that as we've talked about, that is the message of your campaign on communication. If people wanted to find out more about you, donate to the campaign, how can they do that? Website, social media, volunteer even? Yep. Uh, they can go to my website, which is Jimmy number four ky.com. Um, there's opportunities in there to um, read more about um, topics that I have a you know significant interest in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a place that they can uh, communicate directly with the campaign office. They can make a contribution. Uh, you can also go through actblue.com. Um, there's uh, different directories in there. Um, and if anybody actually wants to still write a letter, um, you can actually drop um, some mail to post office box 264 Franklin, Kentucky, 42135. And, um, you know, anytime I get a letter of correspondence, I actually sit and read it and I reply to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you take the time and energy to reach out to me, I should have that obligation to hear you and address whatever the issue is that you have. And as a grassroots candidate uh, and the truest word, (laughs) every dollar is going to make a difference um, because 35 counties stretched kind of river to river. Mm -hmm. Um, It is 
and that's a lot of driving time. That's a lot of wear and tear on my 2015 Honda Civic, you know, and those expenses eat up a, you know, an individual whose uh, salary runs around $40,000 a year. So I'm sacrificing, but I know my sacrifice is worth it. And like I've said before, I don't lose and I never will because as long as one person is inspired, as long as one person sees that they can make a difference and they stand up, I've won. That's meaningful to me because um, I want to come back to my profession. So I'm not going to be, you know, living in D.C. for the next 15, 20, 30 years mm-hmm. because I love what I do. But I want to make sure that there is a voice for the voiceless because I know I've been muffled and silenced for too long. Most of us have. And we can make a difference, but we have to stand up. We have to get up. We have to demonstrate effort or we can do what we have always done. We can sit and complain. We can sit and argue. I would much rather spend my time looking at prosperity and having peace and calmness because things are moving in the right direction rather than living a life of negativity and uh, restraint. You know, I don't want to be held back. I don't think any of us deserve to be held back. We are hardworking individuals. We are caring families. We we deserve the fruits of our labor. And uh, right now we don't have that. So people voting for me and supporting my campaign, they're genuinely making an investment in their lives, their children's lives, and it's worth the investment because I'm committed to give my time and I'm committed to listening and hearing because those are two different things. I am genuine, and I think that is what the purpose of our founding fathers had when we were establishing a new government. It was never supposed to be that divided, and why it has happened frightens me, because if we don't make change soon, are we even going to have our country anymore? Jimmy, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, and I'm really hoping next time I talk to you, it's going to be representative Osbrooks. Me too. (laughs) Thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity um, because I'm all about opportunity. I'm all about making um, just one person's day just a little bit better. And if we all have that same philosophy, there'd be a lot more smiles and, uh, You know, this has been inspiring to me, and I do appreciate you and all that you do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bluegrass Podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with updates and more, our Instagram is at bluegrass underscore cannabis. Our Twitter is at bluegrass canna. Our TikTok is at bluegrass cannabis. You can find more information on our website, bluegrasscannabis.com, and we're always available wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, iTunes, wherever it is, don't forget to subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a review. It truly helps and we appreciate it.